folks, welcome back to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. For those of you new to the show, this is a spoiler podcast, so keep that in mind as we go through the story. The story today being Usagi Ojimbo Volume 1, Issue 20, cover dated February 1990 from Fantagraphics Books, entitled A Kite Story. And our persona dramati are Mayamoto Usagi, our protagonist, Tetsu Saburo, a kite maker, and Hatsu, a gambler, who also turns out to be part of a larger gang. Now, starting out, I haven't mentioned it too, too much in the past, but the cover of this book caught my attention. We see Usagi in a field, the dragonflies disturbed, flying away from him, looking over his shoulder, about to draw one of his swords. It's hard to tell exactly which one. The katana, I believe. But up above him is a large kite. And on the kite, if I am not mistaken, is the image of Sergio Aragones dressed up as a samurai. I could be wrong, but I believe that is who is on this kite. And I also believe it is drawn in the Sergio style not in the Stan Sakai style. So there you go. I thought I'd throw that out there for you. As always, this is created by Stan Sakai. Uh, Mr. Sakai does everything. Writes it, draws it, inks it, letters it. So it's, it's all his creation. We start off the first page, title page, a kite story. We see several kites, different visages on them. One of them looks to be an angry, evil Usagi, even, perhaps. And we get some background here. 300 years ago, to celebrate the completion of an irrigation canal, a wise lord decreed a festival of kite flying. The celebration served a dual purpose. Not only did it give the people a well-earned holiday, but the thousands of feet treading the ground alongside the canal tamped it into a solid embankment. Early June since then, the Takokichimatsuri Kite Crazy Festival has been held. So there is our first term for this episode that uh, is new to at least me. A Takokichimatsuri. Matsuri being festival. Uh, Takokichi, a little tougher to narrow down, but Mr. Sakai indicates it means kite crazy. So we open the story. This story itself, overarching story, is made up of three, three, or four smaller stories. I forget how many. Four, uh, three, three, I think. Yeah. So the first sub-story, shall we say, is entitled "The Kite Maker's Tale." We're introduced to Tetsusuburo, a kite maker who, as I indicated, was one of our Persona Dramatae. And he specializes in the kites of this particular region, which are hexagonal. He tells us that each region has its particular type of kite that they specialize in. His region is hexagonal, and Tetsu Saburo specializes even more in that he loves to make odako, or giant hexagonal kites. So there's another word for us, odako, meaning giant kite. I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly. Also, by the way, I apologize if I am not. My only excuse for not pronouncing them correctly is that I am 100% 
45 years worth of Anglo, and a lot of these Japanese terms are very, very new to me. Honestly, I try the best I can without trying to insult anyone. If there is anything insulting in the way that I say it, I do apologize. So we see Tetsusoboro go out. Uh, it is the autumn of this particular year, which is the time that he goes out to harvest young bamboo because they will form the bones of his next odako, his next kite. And Mr. Sakai went to the extent of sharing with us some of the behind-the-scenes of this Japanese traditional kite-making technology of the time, as you were. So bear, bear with me as I uh, read this, a lot of these sections verbatim. Mr. Sakai doing far better to educate in this area than I ever could. So Tetsusuburo is telling us that the slats, the, the bamboo poles are cut into slats, the slats are then boiled in a soda solution to seal the wood from mold and insects. Some kite makers prefer just passing the bamboo through a flame, but I believe that just reduces the wood's flexibility. <laughs> that is why my kites are the best. The bamboo will in turn be left to season for six months, but now it's almost winter as we progress in time. Time to make the washi, another term. Uh, paper is the translation Mr. Sakai wants us to keep up with, washi. Setsusuburo continues, I search the mountaintops for the kozo tree, kozo tree being a type of mulberry, almost shrubbish or small tree, something that we over here in the west would probably call an ornamental as far as size. So this particular type of tree, the kozo tree, is what is used to make the washi that he will then use to finish constructing the kite. The shoots I need take two years to mature, but it has the best fibers for paper making. Each year I must climb higher up the mountainside. The wood is boiled until the bark can be peeled off in strips. The strips are dyed, dried excuse me, on bamboo racks. Then the black outer bark is scraped off, leaving the white inner bark. And we have panels in the book showing each of these stages to us. Now it's time to wash the strips. A clear, cold mountain stream is needed because it is free of the impurities that would discolor my paper. It's now deep winter, and my hands and body scream out against the cold, but it is said an artist, like myself, must suffer, suffer for his craft. <sighs> I think, though, that I will visit the hot springs before this day is done. There is another boiling in a soda ash solution, then a final wash in the stream. Next, I pound the bark into fibers. Tororo root is added to help the fibers float, another uh, plant that is used in this particular process. It's a type of yam. Uh, to help the fibers float evenly in the water and to prevent the sheets of paper from sticking one to another. I stir the fibers into a tub of water and dip my bamboo screen into the thick, milky liquid. 
I rock it back and forth until a smooth layer of sediment forms, not too thick, not too thin. And any of you that may have seen how paper is made, particularly in a, in a traditional manner, there is a, a like a, a big sieve that they hold. They dip into the solution to collect these fibers, lifting it up to drain the water. And what is left is these fibers on this sieve, which are then carried out and allowed to dry as a sheet of whatever type of paper they're constructing. Tetsusaburo continues, the sheets are carefully lifted, pressed, laid on boards, then left out to dry in the sun. It is now late spring. Now remember, he started this early in the fall. It is now late spring, and the bamboo has finally seasoned properly. Now is the time to construct the bones. That's what he uses the initial bamboo for. The paper is glued together, paper or washi, with white Oh, excuse me, with wheat paste. A design is sketched on with charcoal, blocked in with paraffin, then painted with ink and opaque pigments. The paper is tied to the bones and the kite is loosely folded and our team carries it to the festival. The Takokichi Matsuri is already underway. I see smaller fighting kites sailing the skies, dancing with their opponents, cutting their strings, Setsusuboro says. The Odaku is the largest I have ever created, and the crowd looks at it in awe. My heart swells as it is loosely on it is loosely excuse me. My heart swells at it is stood on end and loosely tied to a scaffold. Our team is anxious to see it in the air and we all grab the line. Now roughly one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine to ten men's height. Okay, is the size of this scaffolding. So let's say these guys are five nine. So what is that? Sixty nine, seventy inches. This is seven hundred inches that this scaffolding is tall. The kite itself is lightly attached to it and even bows from that. So this kite may be upwards to ninety maybe even a hundred feet tall. A hundred feet might be kind of tall for this. Easily 70 feet, 80 feet perhaps. In my western parlance, that is eight stories. Okay, 10 feet to a story is usually what I estimate. Eight stories tall. Okay, get that. Um, hard to tell how wide this kite is, but it's easily one, two, three... Um, 200 it's easily 200 feet across so that's another two stories wide so this is a huge piece of flying product here so then we move on to the gambler's tale the second of our many tales here we're introduced to Hatsu he says that at festival time it's always profitable for us itinerant gamblers many tourists are in town ripe for the picking, so hundreds of my associates are here also. We go inside, we see a gambling par uh, par uh, parlor, there's the word I'm looking for, I apologize. Gambling parlor, we see men sitting around a mat wagering on a dice game, the dice being thrown by a gentleman merely wearing a fundoshi, his underwear. That's all he's got on, so that nothing up his sleeves, he's not hiding anything, he's not cheating in essence, and he's showing that. So we see the gambling going on. 
we sing Hatsu here mentioning that the game is very simple. You just bet on whether the number of dots will be Han, which is odd, or Cho, which is even. That's all you do, betting on odd or even. He says it's a pretty easy game to pick up and definitely an easy game to win, particularly when you cheat. So we see that Han uh, Hatsu is perhaps not the most upstanding itinerant gambler. So the gambling is going on. The game is in full session. We have a pigeon, uh, as they would say here in the West. A pigeon who is just losing money left and right when Usagi walks in. Hatsu, feeling that his latest pigeon is about out of money, notices the hopeful new pigeon coming in in Usagi and motions him, beckons him over to join the game. As Hatsu is communicating with Utsagi, the game continues. The other gentleman continues to lose his money, exclaiming, exclaiming with lots of rats. That's, that's his term, his uh, expletive is rats. And he may be a rat himself, but I don't think so. I don't recognize uh, right away what creature he's drawn as, but it could be a, a rat or some other type of uh, ratine creature or mouse-type creature. Hatsu and Usagi are talking. Uh, Hatsu continues to try to draw Utsagi into the game. Utsagi is not having any of it. He didn't come in to gamble. The thrower of dice uh, continues to do so. Usagi is particularly interested in him, watches him a couple times. The gentleman who was gambling gets up to leave because he's out of money. Says all he has left are the shoes on his feet. Hatsu uh, convinces him that, hey, you have lost. It's got to be your time to win. Uh, Go ahead. Bet your shoes. Uh, I'm sure that you'll win. You've lost everything else. Now it's your time. So the man showing that he does indeed have a sickness in gambling bets his shoes and loses his shoes. After that, as they move on to the next person, the thrower of the dice picks up the dice, uh, as, as I have seen before, one die in between each of his fingers, and he holds the two dice like that, throws them back into the cup, rattles the cup, throws the dice out onto the mat, and as he throws the dice out, Usagi takes his sword and cuts through the air and sheaths it back. Well, Hatsu is enraged by, why are you drawing your sword in this display? What are you doing? Somebody could have been hurt. And then everybody looks at the sword, uh, the dice, and the dice have been cut in half, and you see that the dice are indeed loaded to fall a certain way. They're weighted. And there is a string on the bottom of the cup to help the dice come out and flip in a particular way. So this is all revealed. All those that are around, including the gentleman that lost everything and his shoes, see that Hatsu and everyone else involved in the game, the dice thrower and those others in control of the game cheated and so they set out after them chasing them out of the gambling parlor and down the road several members of the people that were taken stay behind and they thank Utsagi for revealing to them the cheat these itinerant gamblers run completely out of town and up on a big hill looking over you can see the town and over to the right hand side in the panel you can see the kites because we're still having our Matsuri, so the kites are still flying. And these 
gamblers are looking as other people are also thrown out of town. Apparently, the townspeople enraged to the extent that all gamblers have been thrown out, not just the ones in this particular game. So the rest of the gamblers who got thrown out of town catch up with this initial group that Hatsu uh, Hatsu is a member of. And unfortunately, the second gang of gamblers is led by what appears to be a gorilla, which in my mind means that this character is going to be very mean and very strong. So they waylay the gang that Hatsu is a member of, but the second group is convinced by the first group that the first group is not the cause of everything that befell them, but rather Usagi cheated all of them out of opportunity to gain money, and so Utsagi is the one who is responsible, not any of the gamblers, including Hatsu, who was towered over very much by this gorilla monkey leader of the other gang. So we cut to the third story, entitled The Ronin's Tale. Now this is following Utsagi after the gambling den gambling parlor um, confrontation. All the gamblers come back into town and they confront Usagi himself not to be stopped by anything Usagi says not wishing to draw his sword and injure anyone and being horribly outnumbered. Usagi decides to turn and run discretion being the better part of valor that day. So he runs and he runs towards the launch site for the Takukichi uh, the kite crazy people, and he runs just as Tetsusaburo's giant Odaku is released, and he jumps up and grabs the bottom portion of the kite. Hatsu jumping up and grabbing Usagi as well, but falling as the kite continues to go up. Hatsu starts running, yelling at those men that are helping him. Pull the kite back down because he sees that somebody's on it and something is going to happen. His kite is going to be wrecked, his giant creation. And he's telling his men to quickly pull the kite back down. But unfortunately, the men that are helping him see that all the gamblers that were initially run out of town are back. So they forget what they're doing in helping with the kite and turn to chase the gamblers out who had been cheating them and chase all the gamblers out of town. Well, that leaves only Hatsu to try to control his kite. And as he runs after the last rope that had been used to restrain the kite, he leaps and misses as the kite floats into the air on the wind with Usagi aboard. So we get to the fourth story, The Kite Maker's Tale 2. And this is Tetsuburo. It's autumn again, the time for bamboo. I go deeper into the mountains looking for the right poles with which to make my bones. I find the perfect grove with tall straight poles next to a small mountain lake. I start to cut one out of the corner of my eye. I see, and in his mind he says, can it be? And he exclaims, it is, as he runs down a hill. And we see there, as he gets through the bamboo in a clearing at the bottom of the hill, is his old kite, much worse for wear. Also, going from the kite off into the bamboo thicket are footprints. So Setsuburo surmises that the ronin still lives. And he finishes our story. I contemplate the bones for a while, then turn away. I have work to do. 
Next year, I will have an odaku that is bigger, grander, and more beautiful than anyone has ever seen next year. So, there is our story. Uh, many new terms introduced to us by Mr. Sakai. We have the Takokichi Matsuri, the Kite Crazy Festival. Odako, giant kite. Washi, a type of paper. Uh, kozu, kozo, which is a type of mulberry. The Tororo root. Han, indicating odd. Cho, indicating even. And uh, I introduced the term fundoshi, uh, which is a traditional undergarment worn by the gentlemen of this time period. Don't really have any feedback to speak of. Uh, if you do decide that you would like to leave some feedback, you can send that to the Usagi Podcast at gmail.com. The readerfeed.com is the website, but that will soon be changing. Usagi Ojimbo Dojo on Facebook is where I post notice of the episodes going live, and the Ronin Rabbit is also on Google. Thanks a lot for waiting me out. I know it's been a, a little while longer than I would like to uh, wait between podcasts. Life happens in between the shows, I assure you, and I get these out when I do have the opportunity. Thanks a lot. And next time we have issue 21 of the first volume of Usagi Ujimbo as put out by Fantagraphic Books. And I'm sorry I neglected to write the title of the story. But it's issue 21 of the first volume, nonetheless. So, I'll see you guys then. Bye. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.